The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I hope you are doing well, and I hope everyone enjoyed their draft weekend. It was a uh, an interesting one, to say the very least, and an, a very productive, polarizing, and at times a little predictable, but unpredictable as well, first class for Zach Taylor. We're going to talk about all the stuff with the NFL draft and the Cincinnati Bengals, what they did, what they didn't do, maybe even a little bit about what their division rivals did in this draft, because based on this division and the outlook of it in 2019, the Bengals and their fans had their eyes on the periphery of what those other teams are doing. But the Bengals added 10 new rookies and a crop of undrafted free agents. We'll talk about all of those players, what it means for the team going ahead the picks we liked, the picks we didn't like, and we'll be getting, hopefully, to some listener questions at the end of the show. So get those to us in the live YouTube chat. Get those to us on Twitter at BanglesOBI in the comment se- section at CincyJungle.com, or you can text us at 949-542-6241. We'll be taking calls, hopefully, at the end of the show as well. And I want to welcome in my co-host, John Sheeran. John, it was a... It was a fun weekend, but it was a busy weekend, I'm sure, for you and I uh, and many others at Cincy Jungle. Kudos to you on all the coverage. Kudos to Jason Markham on the coverage, Um, Matt Minich and Nick Manchester, uh, truly a team effort over at CincyJungle.com. I tried to do a little bit more of the media stuff for this program, but uh, good job. I hope you're recovering from (laughs) all of the work, my friend. Shout out to the Bengals for trading up two times, getting rid of a couple of those six-round picks would have a little bit more, more work to do, so... Yeah, you know, I guess we can start there because the Bengals were set. What they they initially had what thirteen picks, twelve picks. They had eleven. Eleven. That's right. And then in Friday night, it turned to thirteen thanks to a usual trade back in the second round. There we go. That's the Mm -hmm. one. 
Yeah, so I, I had a couple of the numbers right. It's just a matter <laughs> of what point in time you were asking about it. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, they moved up a couple of times in the to, in the fourth round, got shed some of those picks, and they ended up with 10 overall draft picks. And, of course, the class of uh, undrafted free agents that they, that they brought in. So without further, further ado, in case anybody uh, hasn't seen yet, and the entire list can be found of both undrafted free agents and the... Uh, the undrafted free agents and the draft picks are both on cincyjungle.com. So at round one, pick 11, the Bengals took Jonah Williams from Alabama, the, the offensive tackle. They did list him t- as a tackle. Uh, at round two, pick 20, uh, pick 20 in that round, number 52 overall, tight end Drew Sample uh, out of Washington. Round three, pick nine, which is 72 overall, linebacker Jermaine Pratt out of NC State. Round four, pick two, uh, that was a move up for quarterback Ryan Finley. Uh, at number 104 overall, that was, uh, the, like I said, the number two pick on day three there. Uh, round four, pick 23, number 125 overall, defensive tackle Rennell Wren out of Arizona State. Uh, then they moved up for this player as well. Round four, pick 34, number 136 overall, offensive guard slash sort of center, Michael Jordan. No, not that Michael Jordan of Ohio State. Uh, with that, they lost a fifth round pick, and then they had three sixth round picks. Uh, number 182 overall running back Travion Williams out of Texas A&M. Number 210 overall Deshaun Davis linebacker out of Auburn. Uh, number 211 overall another running back Rodney Anderson out of Oklahoma. And their final pick cornerback Jordan Brown out of South Dakota State. Now, some of the ones uh, I, I don't think we have all of them up quite yet. There's been we're kind of sifting through the rumor mill and everything, but we do know of at least six undrafted free free agents that the Bengals have struck deals with and or invited to camp. Stanley Morgan is probably the most notable, the wide receiver out of Nebraska. A lot of people thought he would be a late round pick. Tyree Kinnell, uh, a defensive back out of Michigan. Jordan Ellis, a running back out of Virginia Tech. Uh, Keaton Sutherland, an offensive lineman. He plays uh, tackle and guard, probably a guard at the next level, but we'll see. Texas A&M. Jake Dolagala uh, out of Central Connecticut State, small school there. Quarterback uh, Corey Contini uh, another, from another small school, Ohio Dominican, a wide receiver there. So with all of that, that is a mouthful. With all mm. of that being said there, John, who were some of your favorite picks out of this class? Now, uh, opinions can vary. Uh, a lot of factors to consider, value, uh, need, all that kind of stuff. But for you, where do, where do you sit on some of the Bengals' favorite, uh, your favorite picks for the Bengals in this year's class? I think you have to start with the first and third round picks because they've addressed the two biggest needs on the roster. And it was with players that fit the value of where they were supposed to go and should be able to provide immediate contributions. And of course, I'm talking about Jonah Williams and Jermaine Pratt, the offensive tackle and the linebacker. And just one. I guess looking back at the 16-year history of Marvin Lewis and the Bengals and, and his draft history, the first and third rounds have been extremely hit and miss, while the second round has been more or less more consistent in finding more um, long-term starters and quality contributors. So you always kind of counted on that second round being like that, that, that stable spot where you have the third round being extremely volatile. And at least in recent years, or maybe just in the overall history, the first round has been quite hit or miss as well. So to, to leave the first round with both linebackers off the board, take the best available offensive lineman 
and a quality one at that that can play basically anywhere you want and can come in immediately and contribute at a high level and continue to develop into an above average starter from the pedigree of, of, of Alabama when he's only 21 years old, it's hard to really get a lot better than that. He may not have the athleticism and the length to develop into a multiple pro bowl or multiple all pro player, but as far as not messing up the first round, which is something that the Bengals have had trouble doing. So sans William Jackson, AJ green in recent years, that, that, that was extremely satisfying for me, especially with the way the draft board fell. And you had guys like Cleveland Farrell off the board and Daniel Jones that kind of helped that whole situation um, transpire. And then the third round when the Bengals still haven't addressed the linebacker position. And this is still, I guess a trend that's goes beyond just the Marvin Lewis era. Um, the, the, the lack of addressing linebackers within the first 50 or 60 picks or so, but to, but to kind of wait patiently for that and have Pratt kind of fall into their laps in the third round, that was a pick and a player and a fit that I've been pounding the table for since the senior bowl. Pratt was my favorite linebacker down there in Mobile, and his tape kind of um, confirms a lot of what I saw down there. A very athletic linebacker, uh, clicks clicks and closed very quickly, um, and you know has, has a little bit of issues in coverage, but I think that those things can work out. He's a, he's a former safety the transition to a linebacker. I think his upside is very much of that of a long-term starter and a quality contributor down the road. And honestly, I, I think my third favorite pick out of all this is Stanley Morgan. I, I had oh. him as, as like a early day three or, or, or even a day two pick. I think when you look at the data in terms of production athleticism, he was amongst one of the very best receivers in this class because you, you think the Brasso, one of the most storied programs in college football history, they never had a thousand year receiver until Stanley Morgan Jr. just this last year. He accounted for about 33% of that passing offense, tested like a very uh, flexible and an expl- an explosive receiver. But um, yeah, I, I think he fell all the way down or out of the draft because of some character issues that uh, were not previously identified. But I, I think if given a fair chance, he can very much push for not only a roster spot, but an act an active spot on game days and, and maybe contribute as early as early this year yeah uh interesting player for sure and a guy that's got some good skills and um you know who knows with this he could be a guy that um if you remember back i believe it was in 2014 they used to pick on james wright mm-hmm. uh, who really didn't have any production in college uh, as an lsu wide receiver and he ended up kind of being their number four wide receiver and getting in some plays so um, you know, Morgan could uh, potentially be that type of player uh, with a more polished college resume. So interesting guy there. And I did like that pickup as well. My favorites. I mean, I did like, it took me a little bit to come around to the Jonah Williams pick. Not that I disliked it in general. I, I, I just saw some familiarities in terms of, you know, Ed Oliver sitting out there at number nine, you've got all these late picks um, that, you, you would think you would use as an arsenal, maybe to move up two picks, three picks to get that player. And and I think that, uh, I think he would have been a big difference maker. He's just, I think he's going to be an excellent football player. Um, and he could have been had at number, basically number eight, number nine overall, uh, depending on the situation there. And then you have a relationship with the bills. Maybe there's a trade that could be struck. Who knows? Um, and then, of course, the Steelers come up. And for those people who wanted Devin Bush, uh, you see that the Steelers go up and, and grab a player that probably could have been a day one starter for the Bengals in the first round. And uh, they grab him. Instead, they're going to see him twice a year now. And uh, often he's going to be going up against Jonah Williams on <laughs> in, in certain situations. So that's going to be very interesting. That was a little frustrating. but and And my hesitation with Jonah Williams as the pick was 
what's the plan? What's what's the what's the immediate plan on the offensive line, right? And we could talk mm-hmm. about this a little a little later as well. But what you know, this is a team with its early picks. I thought and felt that they need immediate impact guys. And when you you re-sign Alex Redman, you re-sign Bobby Hart to a a deal that uh, is a little more team friendly than we initially thought, but still is pretty lucrative for a guy that did not play well last year. Um, you have Clint Bowling there. You traded for Cordy Glenn last year, and he's set to make a, a decent amount of money. I, my, right now, talent-wise, Jonah Williams should start for this football team. Absolutely. I don't know if, given the history – now, granted, this was a previous coaching regime that mostly was to be indicted about this, but they haven't always been, you know, very open to playing certain rookies. So – you know, I, I that's what worried me. But as the dust kind of settled and we got into day two, day three, I, I started, I kind of slept on it. And I said, look, this is a guy that probably will start regardless of salary. And, um, you know, hopefully the Bengals trot out the best five line and find a good fit. And uh, I really liked the kid's headspace. My one, as a player, my one knock on him was that Clemson National Championship tape. Uh, against Cleland Farrell, who surprisingly went number four overall. But uh, that was a little concerning to me. But uh, overall, his tape is great. And he is, you know, like you said, he's not necessarily the best athlete, but he is a very sound technician and he is uh, a student of the game. And if he comes anywhere near the Andrew Whitworth type of level, uh, I think Cincinnati, you know, will be very pleased with that pick. Go, you know, going – I liked Jermaine Pratt a little bit as well. Uh, I didn't know him as much as some of the others, but as I read more about him and his measurables, he he makes a little more sense. He will be playing outside linebacker. So I like that pick. Um, I, I'm looking more day three, and what the team did day three is some of my favorites. And I looked at wh- where I'm looking – in particular, is one pick in round four, and that's Rennell Wren, uh, a player out of Arizona State, a an athletic freak, uh, six foot five, about three three hundred twelve pounds, a guy who is probably could push for a starting or a definitely a heavy rotating type of role up front next to Geno Atkins with Andrew Billings, and uh, I think the Bengals needed some depth there. The thing is, is, you know, you look at the physical traits, you look at the workout. I think he ran about five flat at, at, uh, mm-hmm. at, 40 at, at you know, 312 pounds, six, five. That's ridiculous. Right. Um, but the tape and the tape and the production doesn't necessarily match the traits. And that's why the guy was available in day three. But I think with solid coaching with surrounding talent, like a, like a Carlos Dunlap, like a Geno Atkins, maybe it frees him up to kind of do some things. Uh, the other knock on him, aside from the production, is he kind of goes rogue. Uh, you, you know, he he does some things where it's not really within the confines of the system, and sometimes it works out fantastic for the defense, and sometimes it is not good <laughs> in terms of results. So if he can rein that in, and if he's a guy that if if he can ever match the the tape and the production anywhere close to the physical traits. Uh, I think the Bengals got themselves a very good football player. They usually do pretty well with those third and fourth round defensive tackle type of players. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on Atkins and Pico and frosty Rucker was a third round pick Pat Sims, all these guys. So 
I think uh, Fat Sims, right, John? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think Rennell Wren, to me, is one of my favorite players, if not my favorite player in this class, which is weird to say for a non-sexy position and a guy in the fourth round. Uh, and they didn't they didn't really give up any capital to get him. So um, I just actually got that pick from trading back in the second round. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think uh, I think that was a good move there. And you know what? I like the running backs. And yeah. I, I think the value is there. I think the system fit for Travion Williams in terms of what the Bengals want to run, what Jim Turner and his blockers are going to do being at Texas A&M. There's familiarity there. I already mentioned Sutherland is coming in, a Texas A&M lineman as an undrafted free agent. So there's a lot of pluses to that pick. Um, Todd McShay, whatever you think of him, uh, he absolutely raved about that pick. Uh, it, when you know, He said he thought he was basically a, a third-round type of talent that the Bengals are getting in the sixth round, and it's positional devaluation and it's uh just a guy who kind of fell through the cracks and um, you know he didn't he didn't test overly well but it's a guy who's just productive every time he touches the football he's productive he's not overly big um and he's a guy who should who should help them out immensely as a third running back now granted third running backs don't play a ton but if there's an injury um i think zach taylor given the fact that they drafted two running backs are probably going they're they're going to be using running backs a little more heavily this year i think oh, yeah. between the offensive line the running back picks all that kind of stuff and then anderson um without the injuries this is a first or second round talent i mean i, I you look at him and uh he is just a talented football player now he some of the injuries he's had have been very scary um, I think there was a neck fracture in there. There was a knee issue. Uh, I think the other thing was maybe a back problem, something like that, which compiled up, uh, you know, he may never do anything in the NFL, but if those are behind him, if he's in a system that works well, and if he's a rotational player at the next level, this is a guy who could come in and contribute right away, even as a third or fourth running back. Um, maybe this is even in a red shirt year. Who cares? It's a sixth round pick. But he's a guy that also is familiar with the zone system that they ran at Oklahoma. Joe, Joe Mixon is, uh, you know, obviously part of that as well. And uh, familiarity with the teammates. And, you know, I, I think there, I think that, that, that pick was uh, an unheralded one, especially him being the, the second running back that they right. took. Um, I, I just think that they're not talking too much about that. So, you know, if you're asking me, I, I, I did like the Jonah Williams. I did like the Jermaine Pratt picks, but uh, I, I liked Rennell Wren and the two running backs on day three for me. I, li I liked uh, I liked those. What about your least favorite picks, John? Um, I, I think a lot of people may point to one in particular, um, but I'm curious to hear what yours your picks where you kind of went, yeah, not not so much a fan. So people are going to talk about Ryan Finley. Like that's going to be a major point of discussion when looking at this draft class, and not and not for the fact that he's going to push Randy Dalton's job because that's just not going to happen. And it's not it's not only because the Bengals have gone and said that Finley is just going to be the backup. And I think in terms of what he's going to be, it's not the worst investment in the world. But when you're trading up in the fourth round pick into the right outside the cusp of the top 100 picks, there's still as we, as we saw on the draft board, there's still potentially high-quality players available for the taking. And the Bengals had a roster, or still have a roster, where there's still gaping holes basically all throughout the depth chart. And they couldn't they couldn't turn down 
high quality depth at basically any position. So to go out of your way to draft a quarterback in the fourth round, who quite honestly doesn't have the potential to become a long-term starter is extremely questionable for me. Now I was a proponent of them trading up because not only did I not want to write about five, six round picks, but 13 picks weren't going to make the roster in, in, in general. So minimize or decreasing that to down to 10 was a smart move. I thought that they, they, they didn't give up a lot to, to uh, pick Finley in, in that sense, but still like Finley, the only knock on him is his age. It's because he was beaten out by an undrafted quarterback this year, Brett Ripon at Boise State. He transferred from Boise State, became a three-year starter at uh, NC State, and was productive there. Like the production wasn't bad. Um, the, the the film compared to other quarterbacks outside of the ones taken in the, in the first round isn't terrible to say the least. I think he can be a quality long long-term backup. But just in terms of looking at the the overlying picture of you know where that pick was taken, who is still on the board, other needs that the Bengals had to address, I think objectively there's not a lot that separates Finley from other quarterbacks who were taken on day three that can that can be potentially become more than what Finley can be and that's just very 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 unlikely that, be, that he becomes a long-term starter and again the plan for Finley is not to become a long-term starter he's just gonna be a long-term backup in whatever Zach Taylor plans to do in the next five years he may not he may be around longer than Andy Dolan is, is around and he can potentially groom uh, another young quarterback drafted into the system in a few years from now. So having Ryan Finley on the team makes it doesn't necessarily make them worse. It's just the question of investment and the overall plan of where that pick happened. That is my only gripe with that. And continuing the fourth round, I do like what Reynolds Ryan can do in, in terms of it, just in splashes, but I also think that there were better, more productive have d- defensive tackles that have, objectively a higher upside than Ren. And I love his athleticism. I, I love what he did at the senior bowl as well. Like at least three or four of these picks were players that really dominated the senior bowl, which I, which I do appreciate because I was there, but with, with Ren, like you said, the production wasn't there. The tape was extremely inconsistent and I don't, I don't want to make it a lazy bias comparison in terms of just what Jersey they wore, but it kind of reminded me of the Marcus Hardison pick and not because of, there was a Grady Jarrett that was drafted after uh Ren Ren this year, but just because, that there were more productive defensive tackles still on the board. Like Dalen Mack was one that, that we we mocked on the show uh, uh, a couple of weeks a couple of weeks ago, and he ended up going to the Ravens. And in terms of what both of those guys can do and, and what roles they would play, I think Mack was the better player. And I know it's just kind of nitpicking because this is one player, but with, with Ren, it's it would be for a player who was that who didn't produce at all basically, and and is also twenty three and a half years old when he when he was drafted. It's hard to see him becoming anything more than a long term back, but similar to Finley. And I, I, again, when you still have Geno Atkins playing at a high level and you still have promising young guys in Glasgow and Billings, it's not the worst scenario in the world. And again, it's still a fourth round pick, but I think they could have gotten better value with, with other players at that position. So that was my only r- real gripe. Initially, I had some complaints about the sample pick, but I think at the end of the day, you're looking at a potential long-term starter at the tight end position who can, can contribute immediately as a blocker and has some potential as a, as a, receiver in short area situations. So in terms of replacing Tyler Croft, I, th- I thought the sample pick was fine, even though I had some a little bit of questions of value right, right after that pick happened. So for me, the fourth round was kind of where they, they, they were, were iffy, but I think they um, salvaged it a lot by trading it for Mike Jordan, who has, I think, a lot of upside as an offensive lineman, very athletic, also only 21 years old. So at, at the very least, my gripes were, were a little snuffed out by what they finished out in that round with. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit for you with the, with the Finley discussion. And, and here's why, and and truth be told, I I'm with you on that, where I wasn't a fan of 
I'm not a fan of trading up for a backup quarter who's right. going to be a backup quarterback. I'm not a fan of giving up picks to do that. Um, even if they really liked him, even if he supposedly blew them away in their interviews of him, which reportedly was the case, even though th- the tape, while there's a lot of good, uh, there are some there are some issues there uh, on tape in terms of, uh, you know, kind of throwing balls into tight windows and those windows kind of become a little tighter at the next level. So, uh, you know, there, there are issues with that. I'm going to say this, though, John, uh, regarding Finley. I thought about it and we've talked a long time and when the pick was made, McShay was loved Ryan Finley. He he thought, I think he thought it was, he was the third or fourth best quarterback in this class. Uh, McShay was all over him and he thought it was a great pick on on, in round four. And they kept saying, well, you know, if they want to move away from Andy Dalton, you know, blah, 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 blah. We talk about, and, and the Finley move, make no mistake about it. The Finley selection is not a, He's going to replace Andy Dalton in 2019. That that is not happening at all. What I do see potentially happening there, there's two there's two major benefits that I see here. Number one, there have been times in recent years where the Bengals have lost Andy Dalton. He's been a pretty durable guy his entire career, with the exception of basically two seasons. He's actually the only time he's missed ever has been because of thumb issues as a rookie in 2015 and, and last year. So ironically, that's kind of a, a Both on free plays too. Yeah. Um, so the, the Bengals put forth the, the notion to the fans and everybody that they think, and this is why they weren't overly active in free agency, that they think if there are injury, if there aren't injuries, they'll be fine. They have enough talent. They'll be in the hunt. They'll be in the mix. My thing is, I you know, I don't, I didn't really buy into that, but I think Ryan Finley, as of today, can do some of the things that Andy Dalton can do, and I think the drop off from Dalton to Finley is far, far less than Dalton to Jeff Driscoll at this point. Um, and so, my thing is, if Dalton goes down in 2019. This is one of the things I think Finley could come in and not go one and five, one and six on a stretch and maybe carry the Bengals to a nine and seven type of playoff birthish type of record. Maybe uh, I, I just see, I see more benefit as a backup in an emergency situation there. The other thing we talk about Andy Dalton being a bridge guy in 2019 and and maybe even 2020. Then they draft their guy in 2020 and and you know Dalton plays basically the next two years and that's that. I, as McShay mentioned, there is no there is no dead money on cutting Andy Dalton next year, so we don't know or getting rid of Andy Dalton in 2020. Perhaps Finley is the bridge guy in 2020 as they draft another young guy in 2020 with their first round pick a guy they probably in a class that seems to be more talented um so and maybe finley's a guy that they say hey you know what we'll give you the job in 2020 for a much cheaper price we'll use the dalton money that we're saving and, and maybe that goes to a franchise tag of aj green or something of that nature and they've got a guy who can do in his second year a mature guy 
some of, if not most of the things Andy Dalton can do. They're able to keep some of their core offensive players, Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green, intact by saving that money. And they draft another high pick in 2020, 2021. And that's the plan. So that's that's kind of where I sit a little bit with the Finley thing. But overall, I, I agree with you, John. I don't like the idea of moving up for someone who is going to immediately be a backup player and not a backup player that's going to see snaps. This right. is a position that's not – it's not like a backup linebacker that's going to see some snaps on special teams, see some snaps on defense. If Dalton's healthy, this guy's not playing unless there's blowouts ensuing. So, uh, you know, that's, that's my thing with it. But – I do think there is some foresight going forward. And I don't know if you think I'm just gibberish here, uh, but that's kind of my devil's advocate point on that. I think there's there's just multiple ways to look at it. And this goes beyond just looking at the Finley pick, but also just how you would immediately grade drafts and just how you evaluate that in general. Like for me personally, when, when I look at, like from a league-wide perspective about teams draft class, I like to think long-term and long-term potential and, and can these guys become long-term starters? Can these guys become pro bowl, all pro players and, and stuff like that. So when you think long-term, you look at the Finley pick, you look at where it was taken and what resources were going to take him. You mean to think eh, it's, it's not, it's a pretty bad pick in, in, in under, under that criteria. But when you think about the immediate plan and where a team is at, at the moment and also the value of, yeah, a backup quarterback is not going to play, but he's still backing up the most important position right. there. So there's the counter value with, with that argument. So there's just multiple of uh, uh, viewpoints to look at it. So there, there's there's always a way to counter it in, in that sense. And in terms of the immediate plan, yeah, having Finley as your backup quarterback is better than having Jeff Driscoll. And if that's worth giving up a, a useless day three pick, then then all the power to you. And also, if you feel more comfortable with Finley over any other quarterback who had similar data and production than them, again, all all the all the power to you. It's just there's just always a way to counter in, in terms of how you evaluate it immediately. And when we look back four years about some of the players that they passed on to take Finley and, and what Finley actually did and what were his contributions to it, then we can more uh, clearly evaluate this decision. Yeah, and and you know I. I think there's a, there's upside there. There is trust there. And I think overall, I think you would rather see them move up for a fourth rounder instead of do the whole deal, get rid of Dalton, bring in a Tannehill, all that kind of crap, for lack of better words, that we discussed this offseason that never came to fruition despite reports. For my least favorite pick, I'm going to go a little obvious, but I'm also going to stick up for the pick and the player. Okay, uh, You mentioned his name earlier, Drew Sample, in the second round. Now, he's, he's my least favorite pick because – and it's not really because of him. It's really about it's about value. So I guess in a way that's about him. A player they probably could have gotten in this in the third round, and maybe even the fourth round, depending on reports and what you believe. Um, he's a player that is probably going to be a, uh, depending on how you look at it, and Eifert's outlook. Maybe a 1B, a 2A, uh, you know, a third type of option potentially at, at tight end with a second-round pick. Uh, I'm not too, too big of a fan of that. The college production wasn't really there. The Met. The Met. Um, so so the, other, the other thing that I didn't really like about it is, and again, this isn't really his fault, what could have been with that pick? Because we have now heard reports that the Bengals wanted to move up potentially for Cody Ford. Um, who would have 
just been a ho- another home run pick in the second round, I think, especially when you team him up with Jonah Williams. Yeah, double dipping at offensive line with your first two picks is risky, but um, that that would immediately solve a lot of issues up front, I would think. Um, you also had Greedy Williams, who seemed to be – now, He we don't know exactly of his fit in this defensive scheme. The Bengals like a little more physical type of cornerbacks, guys who do a little more press man type of stuff. Greedy Williams did some of that, but not – Often he's really the rangy uh, ball hawk kind of guy, uh, good speed. But still, he was out there. Some other players were out there that that you think could have been a little bit more intriguing than a potentially second or third tight end. Um, but so that to me made it my least favorite pick. However, I'm going to defend the pick at the same time because this is a player I think could also play H back for this team. I think he can line up in the backfield at times, not all the time, but at times, and be an outlet option. We, I think it was last episode or the episode before, we had a question about fullbacks and why don't the Bengals use him. I think this guy could be used in certain situations on that front. He's known as a blocking tight end. And use that, plus the athleticism of a being a tight end, and he, he could be used there. The Bengals moved back and got a pick, like you said, who turned, turned into Rennell Wren. Um, so at least they didn't go up and reach that way. They moved back, got an additional pick and, and, and worked it that way. Um, and we don't know what's going on with Eifert. CJ Ozama has had a couple of injuries. So I think this, I think we're starting to see a shape coming through of this offense and the plan. It's going to be a controlled passing it's going to be a lot of runs it's going to be a lot of play action and quite honestly that's a lot of what we saw out of los angeles's offense this last year so i think when you see the beefing up of the offensive line throughout the entire offseason i think when you see the investment in two running backs in this draft um i think i think it's signs are pointing to this is going to be a run heavy let's let's do a lot of controlled passing which Plays to Andy Dalton's strengths. The short intermediate passing game plays to his strengths. The long, the long balls necessarily do not. So uh, I, I think from that standpoint, that was my least favorite pick, but there is a, a reasonable defense on that. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not, but um, that's kind of my take on Drew Sample in the second round. Yeah, and like like his data points towards like the like a slightly outside chance of becoming a long term starter. I do like his athleticism. I do like his blocking ability, and, and there is value to that. It's just a matter of do you take that in the second round? Because obviously, when you're looking at tight ends, their value is in the passing game. And just looking at the tight end group right now, you're, you're probably thinking that you have Uzoma in sample in the fold. They're going to see significant snaps, and you have them as their traditional inline quote unquote Y tight ends that, that you have. It, maybe when you go into twelve personnel, and then then you have Eifert maybe playing just a big slot, just essentially a big receiver. And I think that was sort of what they were trying to do last year before he got hurt. And again, he got hurt of a freak injury, not necessarily from blocking. So I think, I think there was a plan with, with that group as a whole. And yeah, they've done a lot of work to quote unquote to like the, the, to defend the value of the pick as well. And which is kind of silly because they're in NFL worms and we're just on Twitter, just shouting at us at a computer screen. So it's always that interesting aspect of what, 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 what was the consent? What was the true consensus of, of a player and where he was on on teams' boards? Sample could have easily been like a, a high third round pick that would have lasted towards the Bengals' seventy second overall pick. And honestly, 
Like, I, I, even even as me, like a big fan of Pratt, like maybe the second round would have been a little bit too early for him as well. So the, the value right. fit for Pratt, and if the value fit for Sample, then that's fine. And then we always play the game of like, oh, if we had taken Sample in the third, Pratt in the second, would fans be happy? And that's just a silly way to do that because you can't really do do it like that. So my, my thing is like, there, there were tight ends that were drafted in day three um, that I think could have done uh, the, the same, if not more, than what Sample w- will do in the Bengals' offense. But at the end of the day, he, he's a solid player who has the potential to be a long-term starter. And you, when you're the Bengals and you don't and you aren't active in free agency, you're trying to build your team through the draft. You want as many long-term starters as possible. And I think it's possible for Sample to develop into that as a guy who's, who's durable, who can do multiple things for, for your offense. Again, you like you said, he has positional versatility. He can line up in the backfield and and, and honestly make the Bengals feel comfortable that they don't have to have. I forbid that traditional tight end that can get him into more precarious injury situations. Let him be a big receiver. Let, let you zone and sample do the blocking. At the end of the day, there, there are worse picks that, that you can do. Yeah, and, and Sample is a guy that brings some traits at the position group that those two guys do not. Uzama's not known as a as an outstanding blocker. Um, Eifert is basically a flex type of option. You line him up in the slot, right. you put him out wide. Yeah, you can line him up next to the offensive line, but at most, he's kind of chipping. He has improved his blocking, but he's not known as a blocking tight end either. Um, now, granted, it's not the greatest thing in the world to say use a se- second round pick on a blocking tight end. This kid can catch, though, and I'm going to tell you this. There's an article out there. If I can find the link to it again, I'll put it in the live YouTube chat and, and, uh, and other spots where we post this. There was somebody who watched a lot of film on Drew Sample and said, this kid is outstanding. He had zero help at quarterback, especially the past couple of seasons. If you watch Jake Browning, the quarterback of the of the Washington Huskies from 2015 through 2018, he had a ridiculous 2016 season where he threw 43 touchdowns against nine interceptions. But you know who was on his team aside from Sample? John Ross, Dante Pettis, Miles Gaskin. All of those guys were there. All of a sudden, some, Ross leaves, Pettis starts to leave, and his numbers, he never throws more than 19 touchdowns. And if you see this this breakdown it sh- this of, of who was talking, I, I, again, forgive me, I can't, I can't seem to find the article. But basically, it, sh- it talked about how Browning missed a sample on a lot of wide open plays that could have padded his stats, made things look a little better than they were. And obviously, those other weapons were primary targets over sample. So he was lost in a little bit of a shuffle in terms of stats and all that kind of stuff. Still, not outstanding value. I think we can kind of split hairs on a lot of these picks and right. least favorite picks and, and value and all that kind of stuff. But overall, I think we can we can say it's a solid draft class. Before we end the show, John, we'll, we'll talk about grades maybe for this class and what you would give it. Um, but we'll get to that a little later. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We've been talking about the NFL draft here on this episode of the Orange and Black Insider. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. It's also on YouTube, on the Megaphone platform, and CincyJungle.com. We'll be getting to uh, some phone calls a little later in the episode. We've already been getting a lot of texts, so we'll be getting to some listener questions in just a little little while uh, at the end of the program but we've got more to touch on with the NFL draft and the Bengals draft class. So stick with us. And if you're new to the program, thanks for joining us. If you're catching us after our live recording, try and join us. We usually record Wednesday evenings on cincyjungle.com and our YouTube channel. Subscribe to all of our channels to get all of our content as well. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So let's talk about big pictures things because, like, this, this is Zach Taylor's first draft, his first chance to really make a stamp on you know the types of players that he wants to bring in and the, the type of identity I guess that he wants to set. And the clear motif theme of this draft was, I don't know, I can't believe I'm saying this, establishing the run. And just and just basically building an identity on offense and really confirming our hopes about him coming from the Rams' offenses. And it's really just building an offense to try to re- resemble what makes the Rams so so very much successful in that. And with, with that said, with, with the picks that they invested on offense, they didn't draft a receiver, and they did draft a quarterback, but not a quarterback that has any conceivable chance of taking over for Andy Dalton anytime soon. But with the picks they did pick, blocking tight end. Two offensive linemen who I think can become quality starters in two to three years. I think Williams can be a quality starter right now, but I, I do have hopes for Jordan to de- eventually develop into that. But offensive linemen that presumably fit for what Jim Turner likes to do, um, along with the along with the addition of John Miller, I think they have at the very least a competent offensive line, which is more than we, what we can say about uh, uh, last year. And then two running backs, which also ca- kind of tells me that you know Zach, Zach Taylor saw what the Rams offense what happened to that when they ran Todd Gurley into the ground and had to rely on some of his backups. And while CJ Anderson did perform well, there, there is always a danger of leaning too much on one running back. And I think picking two running backs there kind of sends a message message to that, that we're going to run the ball. And if, if we can, we're going to have quality backups at both spots. So no running back or no, excuse me, no receiver taking and a lot of help for a, an offense that would greatly aid the quarterback. So does this draft class really, not only institute a clear identity for this offense that definitely needs to take the next step, but also instill confidence in not only Andy Dalton, but also John Ross, because again, only Stanley Morgan was, was added to that receiver group. No, no, no one else was added for competition at the at position. So does that also institute confidence in both of those guys for at least the next two years? You mentioned uh, John Ross and who was the other? Andy Dalton. Okay. That's what I thought you said. Uh, let's let's talk about John Ross here. I, I think that the fact that the Bengals did not draft a wide receiver in the draft and 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 waited to get a wide receiver, a big name wide receiver, until basically the undrafted rounds, like like you mentioned earlier with Stanley Morgan. I think that that uh, you know that says to a lot of people that. Zach Taylor is ready to roll with the top three guys he has at that position. We, we there were some weird trade rumors with John Ross floating around earlier this offseason. Um, I think it shows immense trust. Now that doesn't mean that the Bengals won't bring maybe scour the free agency wire at other positions. Uh, th- that's usually what happens this time of year. Some people, some teams, end up scouring the way the waiver wire or what have you to add other ancillary pieces, other pieces that are affordable based on what they got or didn't get in the, in the draft class. So, um, you know, the Bengals could look at a wide receiver there, but I think this shows trust. I, Zach Taylor mentioned this off season that 
John Ross, they, they, they like what they think they can get out of him in this offense. And to be quite honest with you, that he is very similar in terms of mold, skill set, all of that, and, and how he could potentially fit in this offense. Very similar to Brandon Cooks or a Robert Woods in the Rams offense. Those guys both had double-digit touchdowns and over 1,200 yards receiving last year. So I'm not saying John Ross is going to have that type of year, but I think this is a, a play-action, um, oftentimes get-the-ball-out-quick, maybe yards-after-the-catch type of opportunities, things that we wanted to see more in terms of usage with John Ross. I think that this offense is going to be doing that, and it's going to be less predictable. Um, I think if you can, oddly enough, I mean, John Ross found the end zone pretty often in, in college, but oddly enough, he was like a red zone target last year. And you would think he was more the deep ball, the big play type of guy. Um, he made big plays, but a lot of them were 10 to 20 yards from the end zone, not necessarily 50 yards or, or, or what you would envision from a guy like that. I think if you kind of cup, if, if you build off of that a little bit, and you're able to find a guy that can move the sticks a little more often, find a guy that can do things. You set up more yards after the catch opportunities. I think that that, uh, that will allow him to be a good third option in this class. It also means aside from John Ross, that apparently this team still has faith in Josh Malone and Cody core, at least on some level. And Alex Erickson is another Maybe this means that Alex Erickson is going to get a bigger shot in the in the offense instead of being more of a primarily a, a special teams guy. Um, that's a different discussion. But for now, I think John Ross is uh, – the team trusts him. Andy Dalton, um, we kind of discussed him with the Finley situation. I don't know if this means long-term trust with Andy Dalton – but I think that this team is telling you we're comfortable with what we have in terms of winning now. And Andy Dalton right now presents us with the best opportunity to win with a healthy roster at these other positions in terms of what was available in this draft class, in terms of what they could have got in free agency or trades or what have you. Andy Dalton is the best guy for, for this offense and what they can do. I, I agree on a, a lot of levels, maybe not every level, but I agree with that sentiment. And if there's one thing you just to kind of close up, wrap a little bow on what I'm saying here, John, if there's one thing that this draft class told me, I don't know that this team is going to be vastly improved from a starters standpoint from this draft class and from what they did in free agency. But if they're selling us on the idea that if this team is healthy, or if they keep a lot of guys, or if they, you know, if, if the main players are there, that they'll be competitive. I believe that if they if the injury bug hits them again this year, I believe they are better prepared to be competitive than they have been since 2015. 2015, they were three players deep at like every position. But mm-hmm. 2016, 2017, 2018, that wasn't the case. Injuries hit and they didn't have the windfall. I think this year, I don't know if they're going to be much better. Remember, they got off to that hot start last year. I don't know if they're going to be much better from a starter's perspective. Maybe some improvements here and there, offensive line, John Ross growth, whatever. 
But I think if those injuries hit again, they will be much better prepared to still be competitive in the season. Whereas they went like, like I said, one and five, one and six under Driscoll and all these other guys that were out. And I think that's a fair point because you, you look in what that basically means is that you're hoping that this coaching staff and Taylor gets the most out of the young guys that unfortunately Lewis's staff weren't able to do. And, and most of those players either belong either on the front seven or also in the receiving position. And looking, looking back at what you said about the wide receivers and the, the so-called lack of investment there is that there is a lot of untapped potential w- 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 with guys like uh, Malone, with guys like Erickson, even m- maybe a guy like Auden Tate. Something that popped up on, on my timeline today was uh, Joe Goodberry was tweeting out about average yards of separation for the Bengals receivers compared to the average yards of separation for the Rams receivers. And even for a guy like AJ Green, it's night and day that, that the Rams had a lot more space to work with at, at the catch point compared to guys like the Bengals. And that, unless it's not the, even well, the, almost like a yard per player, yeah. right? And, and the Rams receivers are very talented. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, all those guys are really talented. But a lot of that is predicated to, due to, to scheme and, and just getting guys in space, getting guys in open. You mentioned John Ross only catching seven touchdowns all in the red zone. And honestly, that, 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 that should be a telltale sign that this guy can create separation in, in tight spaces. And if he gets the ball, maybe not necessarily 30 yards down the field, but just five yards down the field and have space for him to create yards after the catch, he can get more productive and he, he can be more utilized. So I think this is all this is them saying that we want to get the most out of the talent here, but just better utilization of them compared to what, what was before. Because I think they had a plan for Ross to be just this deep threat and they didn't exactly utilize him to his full potential for the rest of his skill set. Going back to Dalton, though, and, and the overall plan of the offense, because you mentioned like play action, run heavy, Opens up a lot, of, a lot of different things with that, and, and it was it was good for the Rams because Goff definitely thrived off it compared to looking at him from Jeff Fisher and, and Sean McVay because McVay had a plan. They surrounded him with extremely quality talent on the offensive line first and foremost, and I think they have at the very least a competent offensive line to do the things that they want to now, and they also have quality pass catchers that hopefully will develop develop more. So with, with, with all that helping him, that, that that's the that's the optimistic side point. The pessimistic is you're hiding the quarterback because you don't trust him to yeah. basically elevate all, all the talent around him. And, you know, you can, you can yell at me all you want, but that's basically the reality situation because the Rams did a great job of hiding Goff and, and giving him easy throws to make down the field and his production thrived off of that. And when it got into, you know, um, more pressing situations late in the season in the, pro, in the postseason and certain defense coordinators were able to figure him out, then Goff kind of had to do, do things on his own. And, what turned out to be they only scored three points in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. So it, it, it's a fine plan up until you get to that point, and you just have to hope that the system is still in place where it, it can help them out for as long as it goes. But you also have to hope that Taylor has a plan in case things don't always work out in that system and a plan to hopefully get Dalton to be better than what he has been in, in the past eight years. Because if, if you're going to re- rely on all the surrounding talent to, to essentially hide Dalton, you have to make sure that things don't completely fall apart if, if defenses figure out what you're doing. Totally agree, and I think we, we've touched on this a little bit in a past episode, but, I mean, I think that I, 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 we keep talking about the Rams' offense. It's not going to be exactly the same, but I think the, 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 the overall blueprint, I guess, will be the same. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, things ran around a good offensive line and Todd Gurley doing a lot of different things in the offense. The Bengals, Joe Mixon may not be Todd Gurley, but he's close. I mean, he can, he can do a lot of things. Big back a guy who can catch, a guy who can run both outside of the tackles and in between the tackles. Um, and then, you you know, you can mix it up with some of these other backs they just added, Giovanni Bernard. They brought in – John, they uh, – and granted, some of these guys are, are guys 
we're not fans of, but you have to give the Bengals credit about the offensive line. Major issues over the last two seasons. Cordy Glenn, Billy Price, this offseason, Bobby Hart, Alex Redman re-signed. They bring in John Miller. They draft Jonah Williams. They draft Michael Jordan. I, I mean, they're bringing in a lot of guys to help fix that offensive line and obviously mold it into, into something that they want it to become probably close to what Los Angeles did. Um, so I, I think that that you got to give them credit based on all of these moves. I probably missed one or two in there as well. John, I think I said John Miller, but um, you know, they're making the, everybody wanted them to tweak the offensive line and they've, they brought, they've done about five or six types of moves this off season alone. Um, in terms of helping out that offensive line. So it's always baby. What steps. that means in terms. Yeah. yeah but, it, it, it's, it's always baby steps because last year we wanted them to address the problem and they did. And then when it was week one, they ended up starting Alex Redman and Bobby Hart. So now they we wanted them to continue addressing the, the, the problem, but also actually solve it. And that would include probably starting Jonah Williams and, and keeping Bobby Hart and Alex Redman on the bench. Be, be great next yeah. time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, we'll, I mean, we'll see what that, what those five offensive linemen on uh, and end up being in terms of who starts and all that stuff. But, uh, I mean, it, 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 at least they've done a little bit to, or, or a lot really to help fix what's going on up there quickly, John, before we get to some listener questions, um, what do you think about what this class symbolizes in terms of, I mean, I, I gave my bit a little bit about maybe looking towards Taylor system and or that of the Rams. Um, I think there's a big emphasis on character. Yeah, for sure. And like Pratt was a team captain. Obviously, Williams just oozes character as well. I'm sure Sample is along the same lines. Finley was, I think, a finalist for the Scholar Athlete of the Year award in college football. Um, uh, Deshaun Davis was a defensive captain at Auburn. A lot of guys who have a lot of leadership experience. And obviously, when you have a first-time head coach, if you have the guys who are on the youngest um, – on the young part of the spectrum in terms of age who come in having that experience. Oh, Jordan Miller, was also the cornerback out of South Dakota State, he was also a team captain there. If you have guys who come into the uh, into the roster and come in to try to take spots, that have that experience of being leaders of men in the locker room, it definitely helps out. And this is something that we also talked about with, with retaining veteran free agents in terms of making that transition with, with that. So definitely an emphasis on guys who are coming in ready to work. And honestly, like that's – Honestly, that, that's really the difference between reaching your potential and not because, yeah, similar to last year, they didn't take a lot of high floor guys that have the potential to become pro bowlers, but they did take guys that will have the mindset that will help them reach their potential. And that, that really goes for Jonah Williams more than anyone, in my opinion, because I, I think his potential is probably capped out as an above average long-term starter. Not like it's a bad thing, but you know, based off a person that he is and the work ethic that he has, that he's going to do everything in his power to reach that. And that was like, the, that's the difference between him and a guy like Cedric Abwehi, who has the athletic potential and upside to be a high quality player, but didn't have the, 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 the drive and the ethic to actually reach that. So that's definitely a point of emphasis for Zach Taylor, at least in this, in this class. And just that, establishing some type of identity on the roster and on the offense. We, we had a feeling that he was going to be offensive heavy because he's an offensive coach in his first draft. And that's certainly was the case, but it was, it was multiple running backs, multiple offensive linemen and a blocking tight end, definitely um, attacking a certain um, needed identity, but with similar um, guys with similar tangibles. Yeah. And I think, I think aside from, I think aside from that, 
Um, the aside from you know he preached character, all that kind of stuff. I think aside from that, um, it, it, there's a familiarity both with the players and the scheme. Uh, Travion Williams, A and M guy, um, knows what's going to be asked of him in terms of be, of the blocking in front of him and and running assignments, all that kind of stuff. Um, if Sutherland ends up making this team, it's obviously because he's familiar with Jim Turner and, and you know, everything that goes in line with that. So it's familiarity, it's w- with scheme, and it's obviously, you know, character. Now, you mentioned uh, Stanley Morgan maybe had a little bit of character red flags, but that's an undrafted guy, and that's really where you take chances on, on guys like that. Uh, but, I mean, hard-pressed to find anybody – that they drafted that has any red flags. And I think you said it now. I know you said it before we took the air. A lot of defensive captains or, or captains in general on their team, uh, guys with a lot of responsibilities in terms of football IQ and, and responsibilities on the field. And if you don't know the story of Deshaun Davis, the, the Auburn linebacker, he may never be a starter. He may not even last on this team very long. But go read about this kid. Uh, apparently, when he was young, a middle school teacher told him he was either going to be dead or in jail by the age of 18. Um, maybe because he was a little mischievous or whatever, but uh, and, and his upbringing and all that kind of stuff. What that guy did is he parlayed everything into a scholarship to play at Auburn. Uh, and then obviously go into the NFL. So pretty cool story there. Hopefully we're talking about a guy like that down the road where it's like, wow, what a cool story. And, um, you know, uh, it, that's kind of also one of the things I liked about day three. Some of these guys that are that are there that you don't know much about, you hear about them and then you go, oh, wow. And, of course, he was a defensive captain for Auburn and, and had quite a few responsibilities as well, uh, especially as a senior. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're going to get to some listener questions here in just a second. We've already got a couple of texts. Uh, if you do want to call in, we'll try to get to a call or two here. Um, but uh, you can you can get at us at 949-542-6241. We'll also be looking at the, the YouTube chat to see if there's some in- interesting questions there. If you can't join us live, you can get this program on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can also get it on the Megaphone platform as well as YouTube and Cincy Jungle. All of our content is on cincyjungle.com. Subscribe to our channels and uh, get in touch with us how you can. We love feedback. I saw a ton of comments on our on our videos uh, coming up here, so appreciate that. We've got a call coming in here, John, so we're going to try and get to this here. This is the Orange Black Insider. Who's this? Hey, it's John from Kentucky. John. Good evening, gentlemen. John, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. I'm really excited about the uh, Bengals draft. And, uh, you know, some people were kind of downing Drew Sample. And I thought, man, if you people watch the Bengals, when Andy Dalton has a healthy tight end, how he goes down the field against just about any defense. Now, Sample may not be as quick as Ivor. But if he could be healthy and get open sometimes, I mean, you know, I think it's an excellent pick myself. Maybe not for the second round. I don't know. I'm not a draft expert, but I love the pick. And I'll tell you what, I'll even uh, back up a little bit on Drake or Patrick. Give him one chance, one season, see what he does under a different coach. And uh, 
I was kind of switching gears there, but uh, back to Sample again. I think it's a good pick. Anthony, what do you think? Uh, well, we talked about Sample a little bit earlier in the program. Sample's a guy, right. I, you know, I think I think, uh, I think there are pros and cons to the pick. I, I think for some, I mean, it, it, depend, it really depends on what you look at. I, I think he is a play. I, I think the comparison for some is like a, a Jack Doyle I saw. Uh, there's a, a Vanette. Was it Nick Vanette, the Ohio okay. State kid? Uh, I think, John, you may have put that up. Yeah, on on Twitter there, he's a guy that, that is comparable. Um, so, I mean, he's a guy, look, I don't think he's ever going to be an outstanding player in terms of statistics. I don't think he's ever going to be a pro bowl player, which is what you want out of a second round pick, but I think he's going to be a valuable role guy. I think he's, I think you can use him and move him around in a lot of different spots. Like I said, I think I envision him in, in an H back type of role at times, He's a goal line weapon, which is what the team the team needs to score touchdowns. Um, they can't settle for field goals. They need to score points, which they struggled with, especially towards the end of the season last year. Um, and like I said, and and like you just said, John, this is a team uh, that has had injuries at that spot. They had injuries at wide receiver last year, and um, you know it hurt them. They couldn't move the football, so they they need weapons, yeah. weapons, weapons. And I think I think that that is. You know, I think some of the best football for Sample is coming. I don't. I don't think we've seen some of the best football in terms of stats and production based on some erratic quarterback play in college and him falling down the pecking order in terms of a passing option. So I don't think he's ever going to be a George Kittle. I don't think he's going to be some of these other guys. But I think he could be a movable piece that could be a decent contributor for this team. Well, you know, you had an outstanding podcast the other day when you said nobody really uh, gave a close enough look at the fact that the Bengals, the offense, was three and out too often. You know, we kept bashing the defense and we kept, um, you know, bashing the coach. He'd been here too long, you name it. But one big issue, when Tyler Eifert went down, you know, the Bengals, they started off 4-1. And the defense was getting turnovers. But the offense was going down the field. And what happens? What position? Tyler Eifert. Not his fault. Love the guy. He's gone again. And the Bengals just don't move the football as well as they do with a good tight end on the field. Now, I'm not trying to make Drew Sample into something he's not. But so many times watching the NFL over the years, have I seen Gronkowski, Keith Miller, guys like that get their quarterback out of a jam? Mm-hmm. They're wide open 15 yards right down the middle of the field. And when Andy Dalton has his tight end, Eifert, he's open, he just goes right down the field against just about any defense that I've seen. Been watching Andy Dalton a lot of years. So, you know, if I am the Bengals coaching staff, and here's a tight end, he's big, 255 pounds, it's the second, yeah, I grab him. That's that, that's just me. I mean, I grab him quick. I don't care what anybody says. I want a tight end for Andy Dalton badly. Yeah, now, he, because, yeah, Tyler Eifert's coming back, Anthony, but well, what if he goes out in three games? Right. Not to be too cynical here, but it's happened too many times. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you're, you're right, and uh, I think – you know, it, it, like we said, in defense of the sample pick, the Bengals moved back and got an additional pick. I, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to move on here, John. There's okay. one. Well, there's one aspect we're going to talk about off the air. But thanks for calling in, bud. Uh, so the thing he's referring to when I when he said something I said after the draft analysis, John, and I wanted to get your take on it. My thing is, we we bagged the defense, and rightfully so. Tackling was awful. They looked confused a lot of times last year. But I think what nobody talks about is the especially when the injuries started to hit the the offense kept going three and out, three and out, three and out, and putting the defense, even when they got the occasional stop, they the team was rushed. The defense was rushed back out there, and uh, disastrous results usually ensued. So I wanted to get your thoughts a little bit on that, if you think there's any kind of stock or weight on that type of stance. Sure, and I don't, but I don't think Drew Sample himself is going to stop all those problems. No. I think, I think a lot <clears> – <throat> I think a lot of that was an attribute to Bill Lazor's incompetence as a, as a play caller and also Andy Dalton's occasional incompetence as a quarterback when he's not surrounded by all pro talent like like a Tyler Eifert. But again, like I, I like what Sample brings, but he's not he's not a world beater at the position. And yeah, he wasn't that productive at Washington. But all the great tight ends in the his, in the last twenty years of the NFL have all been productive in college, and they don't really get that excuse with, with that. You'd like to think that he develops into a Heath Miller type player that can just be a nice underneath option on, on third down. But but again, he, he he still has to develop into that. And he's twenty three years old. He's not exactly a spring chicken. He was a he was a fourth or fifth year senior coming out of Washington. So there are things to like about Sample, but there's limitations that tell me that this is more of a guy that can replace what Tyler Croft did, not necessarily what Tyler yeah. Eifert did. They don't, they don't have a guy that can re- replicate what what you would lose w- w- if Tyler Eifert goes out for an injury. And if he does go out with an injury, it'll be interesting to see how this new staff compensates for that. We got a text. I believe it's from Nathan, um, 567 area code, with Zach Taylor as the new head coach in the offense he's bringing from L.A., comparing the two receiving cores. Uh, which role will our receivers play that that the Rams did? For example, will John Ross be their Brandon Cooks, or is that an AJ Green role, or is it going to be different? That's a good question because I think it's pretty obvious that like Boyd will be will be Cup because Cup was mainly in the slot and not 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 just a underneath guy, but also a guy that they um, had had a lot of, a lot of deep routes and a lot of vertical routes, and I think that's something that. Um, they can use Boyd a lot with too because he's he's a pretty good route runner down the field. Uh, Robert Woods was more traditionally the the X alpha number one receiver, and that's probably what, what Green's going to be in terms of j- just the full route tree. And then you have Cooks, yeah. a lot of jet jet sweeps, a lot of uh, on a lot of mesh concepts over the middle, and a lot of doing that underneath stuff. Kind of kind of builds towards ver- vertical routes um, later in the game, and that's I think that fits right up John Ross's alley, not just in terms of size, but just in terms of overall ability. And it, uh, it's like they're two very different receiving cores in terms of what what types of receivers fill those spots, but in terms of roles, those are probably how they're going to correlate with that. And I don't want to compare in terms of talent because I don't want to take away anything that the Rams guys do, but they don't have a guy like AJ Green, unfortunately. Robert Woods is good, but he's not AJ Green at at, at that position. And, you know, not not giving away to anything for Cooper Cup, but I think you could argue that Tyler Boyd has more natural talent to him. So there's potential for for similar production out out of all three of those guys compared to what the Rams do. But I think those those roles are pretty much how they're going to be. Uh, got another text here, John, uh, Dan from Tennessee show rocks. Hey, thanks, Dan. Um, sure. I, I don't know if I can get to all of this cause it's a longer text, but basically opinion of draft time will tell, but I think you have possibly three starters for this year and the value in the sixth round was simply a coup. Um, 
He mentions Jonah Williams being a Whitworth type. Um, he uh, he gives basically this is this is grade time. He he says he gives the draft a solid the draft class a solid A. What would you give it? Probably not an A because if you want to compare it to all the other draft class, I think they I think a lot of other teams took took chances on players who could become more than just long term starters. And unfortunately for the Bengals, long term starters is probably the highest potential in terms of what the players that they took. But the first three picks, I think they can all become long-term starters with more, more leaning towards Jonah and Pratt sample price some work to do to reach that level. And yeah, the second round or excuse me, the sixth round had, had some tremendous value with both running backs. I like both of those guys in terms of where they were picked, what roles that, that they will fill. I think Deshaun Davis is good enough to push Hardy Nickerson off. So that obviously deserves an A grade for me for just that pick alone. <laughs> but but I, I, I probably wouldn't go as far as an A because I think you need need guys that develop into high quality players down the road. I think B, B minus probably fits a little bit more. That's around the same as what I gave them for last year. But at least last year, I, I was more pessimistic about their first round pick whereas compared to this year I, I thought if they didn't go quarterback with Dwayne Haskins and they couldn't get a linebacker then Jonah Williams was by far the best way to go so j- just having that first round pick weighted more heavily probably puts it up to B minus or B for me B B minus or B do you do you think Jonah Williams is the best offensive lineman in this draft I think right now he's the best I think there's a guy like like an Andre Dillard that can develop into someone better just because he's more athletic but he still has to get there so like right now Williams is above Dillard and Williams will slowly progress up, whereas Dillard could could go like this, but could also um, he, he could also not develop. And he's also on the older side. So right now, I think Williams is the best, and I think he has the best chance of being a positive contributor early. And I think he's like a blue chip stock, right? You can you can invest in him. You, you can just not worry about it. He's gonna he's gonna be fine. Yeah, maybe maybe a tiny bit lower ceiling, but a higher floor. Right. Uh, it, it seems like if you want to use a cliche there. Uh, and this one came through from Spencer. A text here. Um, and we'll maybe get out of here on this one observation slash question about Jermaine Pratt, who you mentioned is one of your favorites in this year's class edge is a hot item in the NFL and the Bengals didn't really draft an edge. No, they didn't. Uh, yeah. Right. Which, which I know had to just irk you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they betrayed uh, me. They had all this interest in edges. And they didn't take yeah, yeah. And by the way, our mock, mock drafts got blown to hell. <laughs> uh, God. Um, Edge is a hot item in the NFL. After watching Pratt's film, he lined up a lot, quote, on the edge. Is he more of a dual threat than just an outside linebacker? Well, he played middle linebacker, but he did rush the passer at times. He grabbed a couple of sacks. Um, the Bengals, apparently, he's a guy that's going to be replacing, it seems, Vontez Perfect on that weak side. They'll play Vigil and others on that other side. Um, but do you see him kind of being a guy that can put his, his hand in the dirt and get into the passer? Or... Is this going to be still a little bit more of a traditional linebacker for this team? That would be so incredibly Bengals if they drafted Carl Lawson just to make him a, a pseudo um, off-ball linebacker oh, that to be like a like a, oh, a pan God. of the turn pass rusher who's also a linebacker. Yeah, no, I don't God. think that's the case. It's not like we're slowly going to push Pratt towards the line of scrimmage. He started as a safety, started one year as a linebacker, and now we're going to put it at the edge. No, he's going to be – I think replacing Burfick is the best path for him as a weak side linebacker, run and chase – pursuit knife through the line of scrimmage. I think that's perfect for him and his skill set because he's like a heat seeking missile. Like he's probably the best, if not one of the best pure tacklers in this class. Yeah. I think that's some more you say about Devin White or Devin Bush. While they were productive in terms of tackles, they had some issues in terms of missed tackles. That wasn't really an issue with Pratt. And just the one year they started at linebacker, he was he was a tackling machine there. 
you know, he produced like a, a, like a pro bowler in terms of solo tackles. So I'm very comfortable with him being a linebacker and he, and he can blitz as an off ball guy, similar to that of a Devin Bush. So if they do have issues rushing the passer during games, um, calling upon him for a couple of delayed blitzes wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And Pratt, you know, I mean, obviously uh, the Devons wowed everybody with their, you know, mid four fours, uh, 40 yard dash, but Hey, this kid's six two, two forty, 240. And uh, I think he ran a sub four, six. Yeah. Um, four by seven. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. Um, the fastest you know, they have by far. Yeah. If not Malik Jefferson. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. The kid can move a little bit. And, um, you know, I think uh, that, that's faster than vigil vigil did the, the, his deal was the cone drills and all yeah. that kind of stuff where he excelled. But, um, you know, in terms of speed, he's probably actually the, like you said, the fastest in terms of straight line speed uh, that the Bengals have. I think uh, it is a little worrisome that they drafted two guys who played in the middle uh, as linebackers. I, I didn't really see a ton of outside rangey guys. Um, you know, I think he could probably get some stuff out of out of Devin Bush and Devin uh, Devin White um, in terms of moving them around. But the Bengals seem to be set with Preston Brown, Jermaine Pratt. Um, Nick Vigil, maybe they grab another guy in free agency here uh, on, on the cheap, a rental deal to, to round out the group. Um, we'll see. I didn't give my grade on the last uh, from from the uh, text. I believe it was from, gosh, who was it, Dan or whatnot. But uh, I would say I'd go B, I'd go right around with you. I'd say a B. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think I think part of that is they didn't they didn't grab some of the sexy picks. Uh, there's a couple of things I disagreed with, but um, I kind of slept on it a little bit, and and all of a sudden these picks are making more sense to me. Like I said, I think I think it's about character. It's about high floors with a lot of these guys, um, guys that can come in and, and do some things right away, maybe not start, but um, – and you got to give the Bengals credit. They, they wanted to retool the offensive line, and they did that. So um, – I don't know if it was absolutely outstanding. I liked some picks a lot. I was kind of just shoulder shrugging some others, um, but I didn't necessarily hate any picks. Uh, I, I wouldn't say um, going forward, but obviously time will tell. Ask us again in three years and we'll, we'll let you know. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We appreciate all the feedback, the calls. Sorry, we could we got a lot of calls throughout the show. Sorry, we couldn't get to all of them, but uh, we're, we, we tried to get to as many texts and all that kind of stuff as we could. A lot to talk about this week. Um, in case you missed it, we put up a lot of stuff on our audio feeds and our video feeds about reactions to most of the picks throughout the weekend, as well as a wrap-up of all of the picks. So check that stuff out if after you check out this episode, of course. And you can get this episode and every other on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can also get it on the Megaphone platform, YouTube, and all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. John, any final thoughts before we we jet out of here, my friend? No, I'm just preparing for a 2020 mock draft next week. Okay. <laughs> okay. Very much kidding. Very much oh, okay. kidding. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, oh, boy. We better, <laughs> better pump that thing. I already have that uh, muted on Twitter. Okay. Um, are, are you almost – got to be almost out for – for summer right or is that is that a little for the, for, for, the li- for the live listeners i graduated two days i'm, I'm kind of freaking out here oh boy <laughs> real world johnny 
Real world Johnny. Uh, He's coming with no remorse. Uh, so are, is the background going to change? Um, because isn't that your you're off the, the, back, the background will the background will stay there might be some additions here um as we move progress into the off season okay um but the the the, the location will stay the same for the time being okay um I, yeah i mean it, it's it was a fun week it was uh it was busy but uh, again kudos to the cincy jungle staff uh including you john for for putting up a lot of good stuff and and you know there's a lot of news to keep up with and for those who saw um this the staff at Cincy Jungle put up the picks right away. Analyses came pretty soon after on all those picks. So um, kudos to to John, Jason, Nick, Matt, uh, Patrick, both Patricks, um, mm-hmm. everybody who who submitted a lot of a lot of stuff on the throughout the weekend. It was it was a group effort and it was really well done. Just quickly for those who uh, followed me on a different podcast before we started this one, there, many of you know a listener named Fatal Content. Um, I he's an ardent Bengals guy and and a really entertaining guy. He called into our old program a lot. I think he's called into this program once or twice, but um, just he he lost his mom recently. I found out on Twitter, and and he's a good dude, good Bengals guy. So uh, Fatal, if you're listening, we're 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 with you, man. That's a, that's a tough thing to go through. And, uh, you know, don't be a stranger around these parts either. We, we want to hear from you. So, um, for those of you who follow him on Twitter, I think many of our listeners do, um, give him some condolences and, uh, give some good thoughts his way. Hope you enjoyed the draft weekend. Hope you enjoyed the coverage we brought you get the show how you can, John. Thanks for, thanks for everything. And we'll, uh, we'll catch your next episode, my friend. See you guys next week. All right. This has been the Orange and Black Insider for John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. We'll see you next time.